for November and December, death was on the menu. And the one thing I can tell you about my experience with God is you can face that with peace and harmony and the comfort that there's a God that loves me and wants to take care of me. And whatever his plan is, I was down for it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Buenos dias or buenas noches. That was the voice of Mr. Charlie P that you heard at the beginning of this episode number 237. And you are going to hear so much more from Charlie P. in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is being brought to you by Kit and Rachel and Jane and Kath and Trudy and Kate and David. What, you may ask, did Kit and Rachel and Jane and Kath and Trudy and Kate and David do? Well, let me tell you, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow Donate tab, and they made a a contribution. So thank you so much again, Kit and Rachel and Jane and Kath and Trudy and Kate and David. This episode is coming right out to you. And you know, as I was saying that episode number 237 with Charlie P., I just... I, I almost paused there and I thought, 237? How in the world did we get to 237? It just blows my mind, right? It's like uh, it's like staying sober. And for those of you who have long-term sobriety, you just know it's just you stay alive and you keep doing it one day at a time. And in my case with this podcast, is one episode at a time, but... Somehow, we have gotten there. I, John, am just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Remember, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, You are welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we are so glad that you have joined us. Now let's get on into Mr. Charlie P. This is the, for those of you keeping score at home, 
and you probably don't know this, uh, and probably, well, I don't know if you care or not, but this is the sixth time that Charlie P. has actually been on the pod, and uh, he is going to be addressing steps six and seven today. How about that, huh? Six times, step six and seven. What a quink-a-dink. Anyway, um, we spend the first part of this episode, as you will hear from the from the opening piece of audio that I played here with Charlie talking about what he's been through lately. We're going to spend the first part of this episode discussing the recent medical diagnosis that Charlie had, receiving the miracle uh, regarding how he was diagnosed in the first place, the ensuing major operation, and then we talk about how he is doing now Oh man, what a journey Mr. Charlie has been on. Uh, It really is incredible. Then we get on to step six and seven, and we spend all of our time on page 76 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the first two paragraphs. For those of you who are seated at home, you may want to get out your big book and turn to page 76 of the book and read along with Charlie as he comments on it. And he talks about what he what he talks about are the four major components of steps six and seven, which are laid out in those two chapters and much, much more. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you, Mr. Charlie P. One more time. And please keep in mind, we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So we are back again, and I'm so—I mean, I'm especially thrilled this time to be back with Mr. Charlie P. And you're going to hear why in just a moment. Um, so, first of all, Charlie, go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you choose, and go ahead and tell people where you live. Okay, uh, it's good to see you again, John, as well. I, I'm Charlie Park. Charlie Park P. I'm from Austin, Texas. And my home group is the primary purpose group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Austin, Texas. If you're ever here on a Tuesday night, come see us. We meet at 2701 South Lamar at 7.30 p.m. And we do a Zoom big book study uh, on Wednesday nights at 7.30 Central Time. And I'll just go ahead and give it to you. It's 630-577-473 and no password. And we've been doing a big book study online for a couple of years now. I'm averaging about 300 people on a Wednesday night. 300 uh, people is not bad, even post-pandemic, huh? That's at the Zoom meeting. We started yeah. off with 600. Wow. Uh, because we talked <laughs> to so many people around, you know, that that uh, had heard about the group. So they started coming on Zoom. and But before the pandemic, we were having a couple hundred people live on Tuesday night. It was, wow. Very nice. Study in the big book. And I know one of the gentlemen who attends that, uh, we had him on the podcast before, uh, several times actually, Marty C. He comes into that meeting. He sure does. I love Marty. Yeah, he's a great guy. Okay, Um, so. Oh, the only guy to give me is my sobriety date. Oh, yeah. Uh, March 22nd, 1985. And uh, coming up, can't wait for the next one because there's a, Six and a half month part of the year where I have as many years as my wife, Katie. <laughs> and I really, 
right. Avoid. <laughs> I avoid sobriety countdowns during that period where she has a year more than I do. <laughs> and you know, she, we've had her on. Uh, a, a couple of times here lately, and uh, oh man, you were right. She is like, would you tell me you was going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant? That's right, getting a drink from a fire hose. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love a her. lot of good sobriety in that particular. Home you're going to hear. A, you're going to hear a little bit about how how good she's been taking care of me. So okay, well, we got, we got a lot of ground to cover today. So yeah, we do. So I know what we're supposed to pick up, but before we get into that, I have left out some, uh, uh, on the past few episodes, I left out some kind of cryptic messages. Uh, and what I mean by that is I just said, Hey, listen, everybody, I, I can't really go into details, but if you would just hold up Charlie P in your prayers uh, him and Katie and their entire family. And I didn't go into any details, right? Oh. Just because it wasn't the appropriate time. I wanted you to be able to kind of tell this story. And even when I recorded Katie, uh, we didn't talk about any of this. So let's go. First of all, you have had some major surgery lately, but let's go back and talk about what led up to that major surgery, and then we'll talk about the surgery and your recovery and all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you for the prayers, John, and I'm a big believer in prayer. In fact, a lot of times when one of my sponsees will have a problem, they're up against them, they'll go, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm like, oh, yes, there is. Yeah. You, know, you can pray about it, and you know, prayer changes things. Um, well, this is quite a story. Um I uh, and the hand of God's just been all over it, so I I, I, I love telling it. Um, but I've yeah I've been up against a major health issue since uh, our last recording, and it just came about in the oddest ways. God's hand was just all over it, and I'll try to tell you a brief um, lead up to it. But I don't want to leave out too many of the details because it's just been amazing. Well. So I grew up in Dallas. I know you're in the Dallas area, and the State Fair of Texas is in uh, Dallas. And I'm sure most of your listeners know that the corny dog was invented in 1942 at the Texas State Fair by <laughs> Neil and Carl Fletcher. And, and uh, it's, this corny dog is head and shoulders above any corny dog you've ever had in your life. <laughs> It's a big deal to, to the Parker family. Um, and so, and I'm also a big Dallas Cowboys fan and I have season tickets uh, for the Cowboys game. So Katie and I. And tell them where those seats are that where you sit. Oh, they're if you incredible. Want. Talk about just a gift. I sit three feet in front of Jerry Jones when he's in his little box. I'm on the 50-yard line. And I get texts from people all the time saying, just saw you on TV, you know, because whenever they pan over to Jerry's box, there's me and Katie. And it's been, it's just been fascinating. But so the way all this came about, we were up in Dallas for a, a Monday night football game. And I looked and it said the state fair was open. My mother, who's my sainted mother, who's 99 years old, uh, lives in East Dallas. And, uh, I said, you know, Katie, the fair is open. Um, why don't we take the games out till 7.30 tonight? Why don't we go out, push mother around the fair for a while, get a corny dog, and then we can bring her home and go to the game tonight. And she didn't really want to do it. She says, I always try to cram too many things in, you know, and, and but with some resistance, 
we went to the fair and we're walking around the fair and we go in the automobile building and the, the new exhibits building and this building and that building and eat corny dogs and, and all this stuff. And we're in this one building and I see a bunch of Dallas Cowboy stuff in this booth, a life-size picture of Jason Witten, signed footballs, other team players. And I'm talking to this guy about the Cowboys and, uh, um, I said, what are you doing? And he says, well, we are a company called, I guess, is it okay to say the name of the company? Sure. He said, we're a company called Advanced Body Scan, and we do preemptive health care screenings and that sort of thing. I'm like, huh. Well, Katie says, I'm interested in this. And we signed up for a little promo deal. And Katie is interested in that because she's kind of – holistic uh, that's right. Right? she is very much about the body as the temple and and you take care of all these things and and uh um and so she says oh, you know i've been looking into this i'm interested they had a promo for a heart and lung scam and it was no money i mean jason witten's number is 82 they had a promo 82 bucks a piece you can come in have a heart and lung scam well we signed up we come in so we didn't get the scan at the fair. I mean, it was just a marketing booth. But we scheduled it for three weeks later, and we come back for another Cowboys game. And we said, well, we'll schedule it for that Monday, stay over. And and so uh, I'm, we go in there and sat through this amazing sales pitch. I mean, would put any timeshare to shame, you know, and, and, and we didn't see that coming. I mean, because they're like, you know, you could buy this package for 30000 or this package for 14000 or, well, if you don't really love your family, you could buy this package for $7,000. <laughs> and I'm like, boys, I was just trying to eat a corny dog, you know. And, and, but Katie presses, and we signed up for a package. We go downstairs and get – now it's a full-body scan, CT scan, not just hard and lung. And we go on our way and drive back, and uh, you should hear from us in 10 days. Well, two days later, on my 65th birthday, I get a call from the physician's assistant with this body scan company. I'm like, uh-oh. And he says, Mr. Parker, I'm, I'm uh, looking at your – scan and you have a sizable mass in your liver i said really and he goes yeah it's it's like five and a half inches i'm like my god i mean that's bigger than a softball and he goes yeah we can't rule out malignancy or any uh without further testing so this starts the whole thing and uh, now it's doctors here in austin and and uh mris with contrast and biopsies and and blood work looks great but we need the biopsies and they come back and they well sure enough it's hepatic carcinoma and uh we so get hooked what the di diagnosis is hepatic carcinoma which is liver cancer gotcha. and I, so i have a five inch tumor in my liver and we get hooked up with this hot shot surgeon that's chief of surgery at the dell ut Seaton Medical Center, and all he does is livers and pancreases. And we started talking to him, and uh, and you know we go in, and you know these, these these conversations are they slow down to like car wreck speed, you know, because because your whole future can hang on 
the next word that comes out of his mouth. And, and he says, I think we should treat this. And I'm like, good. That's good. And he goes, and then a few lines later, he says, I tend to treat it with curative intent. And I'm like, well, that's really good. And, you know, he, he says, there's this treatment, that treatment, this treatment. Now, here's the one that really chilled me. One night, I'm talking to him on the phone in our first meeting. And he said, but, Charlie, what you don't want to do is nothing because this kind of tumor gets worse and people die from it. And I said, how long does that take? And he said, a tumor the size of yours, average survival period is about three months. And I just had a cold sweat because I'm like, my God. Um, if we hadn't wandered into this booth, because I had zero symptoms. I mean, nothing physically, nothing in my blood work. There was nothing to indicate that I had liver cancer. And in fact, my general practitioner goes, Charlie, who ordered this scan? And I said, I guess Katie did, you know, because <laughs> I mean, we just, and uh, so, um, Long story, well, we can't really say short. Uh, that's that that opportunity has left us. But, but uh, the way it winds up, this guy goes in and takes out 60% of my liver and was able to completely encapsulate the tumor with clean margins. But And so he says, it just went great. He goes, we got it all out. You have clean margins. You have no sign of spread anywhere. You are cancer-free. And, uh, and I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, it was a major so it was six hour, six-hour surgery, and I spent 10 days in the hospital and nine days at home and then back to the hospital. And, but, I mean, it's just. So Fletcher's corny dogs can take a part in this miracle discovery. I'm giving all the credit to corny dogs, cowboys, and Katie. <laughs> and the hand of God. Okay, at one point, the surgeon said, well, this is just dumb luck. And I said, well, it's somewhere between dumb luck and the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't, um, I really felt guided uh, and led through that whole process. And so you had no symptoms. So in all likelihood, if this scan had not taken place, this liver cancer would have continued to grow and we may not be recording anymore, right? That's exactly right. In fact, if we had waited till I had symptoms, it would have been too late. And I've heard stories of people who's, it didn't go this way. You know, my bookkeeper's best friend was diagnosed in August and dead in October. And, um, so uh, it's just, I don't, you know, and to take it to a spiritual level, John, I don't, the understanding and experience that we, you know, I love and, and there's a solution where it says the great fact is that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences and that our creator has entered our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. I'm no prosperity preacher or anything, but, and I'm not going to say that, if you pray hard enough or if you go to enough meetings or if you do enough inventory that you'll be spared from cancer or, but what I can tell you is that for November and December, uh, 
death was on the menu. And, and the one thing I can tell you about my experience with God is you can face that with peace and harmony and the comfort that uh, there's a God that loves me and wants to take care of me. And it, whatever his plan is, I was down for it. You know, so going into surgery, I had some serious talks with my daughter, but I never, uh, 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 and I'm and I'm 65 years old. I, I didn't, you're like, gosh, I hope this isn't the end of it. I mean, we've got a motor home and hobbies and AA and fellowship. And I'd really like to not have this be the end of the game, but I was kind of okay, um, which is not a level of, God consciousness that I've always had, you know, it's, uh, it, it was really um, an amazing thing to experience. Let me do a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Charlie P. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, now back to Charlie P., Wow, Charlie. Um, I can tell you when we had our first conversation about this, it really kind of shook me to the core, right? And Katie was very, very gracious about keeping me, and I know a lot of other people updated uh, via text uh, when you were going both into the hospital and coming out and, you know, how many days you were there and all that sort of stuff. And and I'm so grateful. I didn't want to bother her too much because, you know, I know that she had a lot of people to keep up with, but it was just, uh, I'm, I'm so, so glad to see. You. I can tell you've lost some uh, uh, weight. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is the prescribed way to do it, but... <laughs> I know I lost four and a half pounds because that's the, the size of the mass they took out. Of <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, I do want to give a Katie has been a phenomenal advocate, and I don't know what I've done without her. She's down there at the hospital every night and spending the night in the room, and, and it's funny. I've, I heard myself saying Katie's just been un unbelievable, and I realized at some point, no. No, she really had. I mean, because to say that she'd been unbelievable would make it sound like she had been doing something that was outside her character. And really, what she'd been being is exactly who Katie is, which is just phenomenal. I mean, she's she's just amazing. Um, so I've I've been very. And while I was in the hospital, I found myself praying for people that were there that were alone or that were going home to crummy situations and then stuff like that. And um, it was pretty intense. And but, you think part of this may have been cause I believe you had hep C when you were younger or something like that. Is that, do, do you know for sure? Or is it we just, don't. Uh, I had hep C from an ill spent youth and, and, uh, um, and that's, it was cured. And, but they don't really know if, if X percentage, but, um, it's just, it's amazing. And we were the talk of the surgical floor. And, you know, the, the, my liver doctor calls me that miracle patient. And they brought down the director of the whole healthcare system to meet us. But my favorite part was the nurses. And you remember that, that, uh, 
telephone game that you used to play with as a kid where you'd say something into a person's ear and they'd say it to the person. Mm -hmm. At one point, one of the nurses came in and she goes, so you won the CT scan at the state fair? <laughs> well, no. Uh, you know, like, yeah, the fair's really changed. I knocked over some milk bottles and won a CT scan, you know. But, <laughs> but it was $82 uh, via Jason Witten's number. That's right. Well, um, so praise God. It looks like they're just going to monitor me and we can keep moving along. And yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure you'd be ready. I, I, you were on the schedule before you went in for surgery uh, for us to come to pick this back up. And I said to you a couple of times, I'm like, are you sure you want to keep this on there? And you go, well, I'm just hoping I'll be better by that time. And my God, you're, you're here. We're at five and a half weeks. If 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 our appointment had been two weeks ago, I wouldn't have been ready. But I'm, I'm I'm good to go now, and I'm excited. You know, we uh, we've been going for 19 minutes about the uh, the uh, miracle of recovery that I was able to experience. I'm equally excited to talk about where we left off last there you time. Go. So let's mesh this together. I'm sure some of what you have experienced over the past couple months is going to uh, mesh right into uh, our subject today. So last time we got together, where we left off was at the top of page 76, I believe. It was on page 76. And this is where we begin with steps uh, six and seven. So I'll just go ahead and read the first sentence here. And for those of you if you're driving, obviously you can't do this, but if you are at home and you can uh, break out your book, it may be a good time to kind of read along. It says, if we can answer to our satisfaction, and it's talking about what's what's before on page 75, returning to a place home, and we carefully reviewed the first five proposals, which are the first five steps and such. It says, if we can answer that we have basically completed these things to our satisfaction, then we look at step six. So I'll let you take it from there and let you say what you want to say about step six. Okay. All right. And I, and I love this piece of the book. And it's, it's funny because this is one of the places where you hear a lot of people say, well, of course you have to use the 12 and 12 because it's only two little short paragraphs in a big book. Now, I'm not saying don't ever look at 12 and 12, but we've had 75 pages of work preparing us for these two little paragraphs, and I've seen these paragraphs. It'd be like saying, well, the third step's just one little prayer when there's really just so much more to it. And and uh, funny story, one time Katie was asked to do it. There's these AA conferences they call Woodstock events where they have – Popular speakers come in instead of telling their stories, they, they get to do a step. And I've been able to do several of them, and Katie's done several of them. And, and one time we were getting ready to do one, and you know, she'd been asked to do one in Florida, the Woodstock of wherever. And uh, they said, Katie, uh, she came out, Mike uh, Lorenz is one of our dear friends, and he he's my 10th step buddy, and, and, uh, from that Don Pritz lineage that I love so much. And and so Katie comes out and she says to Don, Mike, she goes, uh, they want me to do six and seven. And she's like, ah. Oh. And so um, she goes back in 
where the guy that was organizing the event is, she goes, you know, Lee, I'm a really a lot better at step three. And he says, okay, you can do step three. So she goes out and she tells Mike, I, I got him to let me do uh, three. And then this, the way Mike is, he goes, oh, that's too bad. It would have been interesting to see where God took you with six and seven. And you're like, oh, come on. You know, so she marches back in there and she's like, right, <laughs> give me six and seven. You know, because... And it's funny, but the reason I say all this is because most of us would be excited about, you know, if we say, hey, John, we'd like for you to speak at the big conference uh, next year. You're like, oh, good. Yeah, love to do it. And they go, here's your assignment. We want you to do an hour on six and seven. And you know, it's like, whoa, most of us would run out of bullets pretty quick, <laughs> you know, have to go back to telling our story or. Or whatever. So we had some time to prepare for six and seven. And let me, here's what I have gotten out of it. And doing six and seven, it says, uh, like you said, we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Now, where did we admit these things were objectionable? In the fourth column of the inventory process. And you remember back in, in Bill's story on page 13, it says, I asked my newfound friend to take away my difficulties, root and branch. Because sometimes the branches are my little, my money problems, my relationship problems, my, you know, th this, you know, tax problems, family problems. And you can get so busy trimming the branches of our problems that we never really get down to the root of the difficulty, which is that selfishness and self-centeredness and how it manifests. Well, if it says, are we now ready to let God remove? Sometimes I think it's a good question to say, can he? Do I believe God can remove these these defects of character? That's a says, very good point there, Charlie. It's a... Uh, the maybe the self-reflection should start within this step of do I really believe do I have the faith that God can actually remove these defects of character mm -hmm. and kind of more of an inside job versus more of a intellectual type of job and to me it's going to God not it's not like God's going to have I'm going to figure out ways to get over. You know, back on page 44, it says many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we couldn't live up to them no matter how hard we tried it. We're back up against lack of power. Over and over in the book, it says, here's the problem. John, do you admit it's objectionable? And we go, yeah, and, they go, and here's the bad news, brother. You can't do anything about it <laughs> on your own power. You know, it, it happens over and over in the book. It, it keeps driving us back to this deal we made in step three. And and it's and so um, it says, can he now take them all, everyone? And so if so, here's here's um, the way I describe the essence of step six and seven now is it's four things. If you're looking at me, I'd be holding four fingers pointing straight up. And the first thing is these problems that have, these things that have come up in, in the fourth column of my, of my inventory, do I find them objectionable? Because basically what I'm doing is I'm coming to God in the sixth step going, God, I am weak. I am uh judgmental, I'm angry, I lust all the time, you know, and if you don't help me, 
I'm not going to do a whole lot better, you know. And and, uh, and so but I've come with this list of things where I'm going, do I admit these things that have been showing up over and over again in the fourth column of the inventory? Are they objectionable to me, right? Not this, I mean, sure, they might be objectionable to other people. In fact, I heard myself in Tampa one time say, it's not so important what if, if I – operate outside Katie's value systems. It's when I operate outside my own value systems, I get in trouble. And then I paused and said, you know, I'd like to restate that. Uh, it's actually, <laughs> Katie's on the front row. I'm like, it's actually really important that I operate within Katie's value system. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but these things that we've come up with, are they objectionable to me? That's the first finger that I'm pointing at. The second question I ask myself is, um, do I have the power to change them on my own? Right? That's this surrender that's, that's taken place. And here's like, I've got a problem. And for me, this, this comes up over and over and over again. In my, I'm coming up on 37 years of sobriety. And I've never had to really work too hard to find things to work on you know <laughs> seems, like, seems like they come at me plenty fast enough you know and so are they objectionable do i have the power to change them on my own and then the third question is if they're objectionable and i don't have the power to change them on my own am i willing to let god change them in whatever way he sees fit right i don't get to go to him and say Okay, God, here's how this needs to go. It's, this act of surrender is like, I've got this problem. I can't do anything about it. And God, you, you just take it. In fact, sometimes in my prayer, I'll say, please take this away from me and make me okay without it. You know, get, get me to the point where I don't have to use whatever this thing is that I'm self-medicating with. You know, make me okay without it. And so if... Now look at the three things that are in step in place in step six. These things I found to be objectionable. I don't have the power to change them on my own. I'm willing to let God change them in whatever way He sees fit. And when those three things are in place, I take it to God in the seventh step prayer, and I say, "We close our meeting with this prayer uh, because it's a pure AA prayer." You know, and it says. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And it says we've then completed step seven. Well, now, look at what a body of work these two little paragraphs have turned into now. Right. And I, I just want to reiterate to people if they're if they're listening while they're walking or they're listening while they're driving a car or whatever the case may be. And you can't get out your big book. Everything, everything that Charlie just talked about is on page 76 and just two paragraphs at the top of page 76. So you can go back and review that yourself. All right, Charlie, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. No, six and seven. I think it comes up. Over and over again, you know, and the 10th and the 11th step are about continued uh, inventory and stuff, but the instructions we've gotten in these four through nine 
our, or our technique that we carry into ongoing inventory when we get into 10 and 11 and, and that sort of thing. And so it's just, it's over and over again. And I've done it on things as simple as internet poker, you know, where one time I couldn't stop playing internet poker. And I called a friend of mine and he said, are you ready to quit for good? And I said, yeah. He goes, get down on your knees and ask God to remove the obsession. Hadn't even occurred to me. And I was like, really? He goes, dude, uh, if, if God can handle vodka and everything else we were throwing in this, you know, internet poker is a piece of cake. <laughs> and, and the funny thing about it was, We talked about these moral convictions, but something about getting down on my knees and going to God in surrender and saying, get you know, help, made it a real piece of business between me and my higher power. And it, so now the next time you start to do that activity, it's not just one more time. It's am I willing to breach this deal that I made with God on the floor of my shower that morning? Mm-hmm. And it becomes a real piece of business. I haven't played a hand of poker, internet poker since then. That was well over 15 years ago, you know, and it can, it can happen with pornography. It can happen with overeating. It can happen with this whack-a-mole game we play of, you know, you whack one character defect and another one pops up and another one pops up and another pops up. Okay, so let me go ahead and cover something then while we're here, because I know that there are going to be people listening. Well, first of all, a couple of things. Number one, I like what you said about going to God. I can tell you that there's many times I've gone to my sponsor or I've been wrestling with something for a long time. And then he'll say, have you talked to God about this? And I'm like, oh, wow. I just like I could have had a V8, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that, that's in my mind. And I work with guys all the time and they'll call me and they'll say, hey, I'm going through this. And I'm like, have you talked to God about it? And they're like, oh, no, I haven't done that. And so sometimes we just need to be reminded. But the other piece I wanted to talk about is I know there's going to be folks listening out there who have struggled with this whack-a-mole, whether it's shopping, whether it's sex, whether it's eating, whether it's gambling, whatever it is. And some of those people have gone to God, right? And I've had issues like this in my life, you know, to where I've gone to God and then it just seemed like, I don't know why it doesn't disappear. And I want it to disappear. And it even talks about this even in the 12 and 12. Why doesn't God just remove it all at once? So why don't you go ahead and address that in whatever way you can for the people who are listening? I wish I had more depth there, but sometimes I think, you know, if we were washed white as snow, we might not be as much help to the next guy that comes along. Sometimes the the message might be, I struggled with this one for 10 years. Right. You know? uh, and, uh, and it kept coming back to God, kept coming back to God. And, and, um, you know, I felt like I was trying to take an active role in, in my own recovery. I mean, you get to the point where you can't just keep going, well, it happened again. You know, it's like, no, no, you were right there. Um, uh, it's um, some of those things. Uh, it's funny, you know, when I'm needing relief, I'm not as receptive or surrendered as, you know, other times when you're thinking, yeah, I've got to stop doing that. You know, um, it's uh, we are complicated individuals, but this process um, is, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, 
It's it's amazing how accurate this process can can be. And sometimes, you know, talking to somebody that's had the same issues, uh, can, I'm not saying I got to go join a 12-step fellowship for every character defect that pops up. I, I love the line in Bill's story where it said, uh, quite as important was the discovery that my, um, my new, that, um, let's see what it says. I'm, I'm going pretty fast here. It says, no, you're fine. Um, and while you're going there, I just want to talk about real quick. Uh, there's a buddy of mine named Mac, who I love. And I've heard him say in meetings many times, he just said that uh, there have been times where he was ready to engage in something that he knew he should not be engaging in. And he knew that going to God would work. But that's why he didn't go there. Sure. He wanted to work, right? And I think we've yeah. all been there. Hey, I'm not calling my sponsor. It says... My friend promised me when these things were done, I would enter into a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. You know, belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. This has nothing to do with anything, but you ever seen lines in the big book that you read one way for 20 years? And and for years, this said, I must turn in all things, like take all my stuff and turn it in to the Father of Light uh, who presides over us all. I must turn in all things to the Father. And one time at Primary Purpose Group, Jenny reads it and she goes, I must turn in all things to the Father of Light. And I went, Hey, mm. I bet that's what they meant. You know? right. <laughs> but, so, I mean, there's this powerful piece of work, in it, and I'm always looking at the flow of the program and the way they line it. The more I study this book, I'm fascinated by what information they found important to put forward and in what order. Why are we talking about this? And why are we talking about it now? And you start seeing how this four through nine process is we get it, we, the, the stuff out, we see it from an entirely different angle. We see how selfish and self-centered I was and how that manifests. And then we we do that in, in the fifth step with it whoever we're reading the fifth step to, and then we take all that stuff from the fourth column and bring it into this six and seven process. And then uh, it's we then it rolls us right into the amends process. And I can't tell you how many, I, I like to say I'm in the entirely different angle business. You know I mean? I can't tell you how many times I've come into a inventory with a resentment, see it from an entirely different angle and go out the other end with, and amends to be made. Um, and, and so that's hey, Charlie, right. Yep. Just real quick, I just want to point out, because I really liked what you said earlier regarding the what God leaves us with to make us not, you know, not as the pure driven snow. And it makes me think of another book I read sometimes. And there's a gentleman named Paul in there. And he went to God and he asked him, you know, can you please take this away from me? And God said, and I'm probably going to get this messed up with this particular verse, but it says, in, my, in your weakness, 
I am strong. And I think about it, if I didn't have any character defects and I had nothing to bring me back, to push me back, to make me to want to be closer to God, um, I wouldn't do that, right? I'd be out here on my own. So I, I think that was a real important part. I think when we get to heaven, they're going to have a room to go in where they have a pamphlet saying, here's the thorn in Paul's side. He's sick, sick of answering any question. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of us are going, what exactly was it that was? Right. You know, so, so <laughs> don't ask him. He's sick of the question. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> but I digress. You know, I don't think we're going to really have enough time to no. run into the amends process, but look at what a chunk of work. Um, and the funny thing to me, this, I don't want to be too controversial, but sometimes when people say, I have to go to the 12 and 12 for six and seven, when I read the seventh step in the 12 and 12, it's a very interesting article on humility but it doesn't really address what I see the big book um, instructed us to do in, in this process. It's, it's kind of like somebody read it. It said, humbly asked him, humility. And then there's a whole essay on humility. But there's a real piece of business here in, in the big book of seeing it, admitting it's objectionable, Admitting my power is just this surrender is a huge piece of what we do in our work is this surrendered place of my gosh, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I heard a guy say one time, one of my favorite quotes, he said, God uses broken people to do his work because that's all he's got to work with. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it keeps me in this place of humility of, um, I'm really just, you know, uh, so powerless and so fortunate to have this process where you can, you know, and, and go and get some relief. And and the, thing, the funny thing is, is where it places us in a place now where we've seen stuff in the inventory. We've seen where we're powerless to change it. Now we've gone to God with it in the seventh step, and that's going to roll us right into cleaning up the damage we've caused and by attempting to live life on self-will and run the show ourselves. That's right, and, step eight. And, so and, before before we leave, though, I want to get your, your comments on this, if you've ever really kind of thought about it. That first line in the seven-step prayer uh-huh. says, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. Uh-huh. And, and so far... You know, and, and and I am, I don't know if you want to call it guilty of, or I just have a tendency to focus on the, 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 the bad and, and cleaning up, you know, and, and, and I think there should be a, a good portion of focus there. But this is the first point, at least from my perspective in the big book, it talks about kind of making a recognition of the good as well. So when you think of that, giving all of what you're, you're you know, um, what we've talked about, the good and the bad, what, what strikes you there? Well, it's almost like I don't know what he's going to be able to use effectively, you know, and sometimes have you ever just released a tirade in a meeting and talked about what a colossal 
jacked up mess your life currently is at the time. Yes. And then, and at the end of the meeting, a guy comes up and says, Hey, um, would you sponsor me? And, and you're like, did you, did you, did you just, just hear, hear me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, I totally relate, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, if I, if I become the next, you know, Pat Boone, uh, I might not be, but I mean, I think God takes all this and says, remove, it doesn't say remove from me all my defects of character. It says every defect of character which stands on the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Hmm. You know, and off to the left of that, I've written selfish program because I, you hear people for years saying, well, you know, this is a selfish program. But we say it's just a price had to be paid. It had to be the destruction of self-centeredness. And it doesn't say make me chill. It says remove the stuff that stands the way of my usefulness to God and my fellow, you know, my fellows. And so um, it's all about being of service. It's all about fitting ourselves to be of service. Um, and I may not even, I don't get to tell him how he gets to go about fixing it, what I'd like to see the end result to be. Um, that's the surrendered piece of it is like you take it and you do whatever you want with it, you know, and I'm down. And if I, you know, and that's kind of the way I was walking into this cancer thing. It's like, if it's my time, then so be it. You know, um, it's not like, I get to go, wow, what a chip, you know, this deal has been for me. I've, I, you know, I was talking to somebody about grace the other day. I said, thank God it's not based on merit, you know, <laughs> because if, if we got, I don't know what, what's coming to me, you know, <laughs> if, if I got what was coming to me, I'd have been squashed like a bug, you know, a long time ago. So, um, I, I think it's a great deal. And, and I just, the more I understand this process, the more exciting I, I excited I am about telling guys how to do it. You know, because there's real freedom in this process, and, and we come out the end of except for this vigorous course of action that we're still in. We come out the other end of it. You know, and so next, hopefully, if there is a next time. Um, well, there's going to be a next time. We roll right into the amends process. Right. And I want to tell you this. I don't think you know this yet, but recently we went through, and I know this is not about mm, popularity, so to speak, but recently uh, my wife, the lovely Mrs. M, went through and figured out what the most listened to episodes in 2021 were. Guess what number one was, Charlie? Charlie P, episode number 195, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making. And you also come in at nine, uh, uh, number six on another one. So, Well, thank God for people with low standards. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let me go ahead and uh, finish this up with the big book. Um, at the last paragraph of the big book, page 164, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Charlie P. As you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 
Once again, my friend, I'm glad you were on the mend. It's so good to see your face again. It's just a relief. And uh, God bless you, Katie, your entire family. And thank you for being with me. I'm sure we'll pick this up next time. It's always a pleasure, John. And I admire the work you're doing. So I look forward to the next time we get together. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Charlie P. I appreciate you so much, and I'm glad your health is improving, my friend. And um, for those of you out there who would like to send a message to Charlie, just go ahead and send me something at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, or if you have a comment about any of the other speakers or guests, I would love to hear from you. It'd be fantastic. And we're going to have Charlie back on in the near future. But now... On to a little bit of listener feedback. John T. writes in, and John says, oh, and the subject line is Don J. If you did not catch a couple of episodes ago now, Don J., uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and John T. writes in regarding Don J. And John actually helped with Don J. getting set up for the meeting. And, and John T. says, John, great interview with Don J. And I was happy to help with the technical setup for your podcast. Don is a wonderful and inspirational person who continues to touch the lives of many people. And thank you for the many lives you have touched as well, John T. I could actually say his last name, but I'm not going to. Uh, and the reason I could say his last name is because he, he's not alcoholic. He was just there, just a kind soul, helping Don Jay. They know each other through church, and he was helping him get set up technically for the podcast. And I so much enjoy, I so much appreciate your help there, John T. And thanks for writing them. Vicky DMs on the IG. That means she direct messages on Instagram. She says, hi, John. I travel and I take inmates to treatment centers on a weekly basis. And listening to your podcast in you and your sense of humor is one of the bright spots of my day. Smiley face. Well, Thank you, Vicky. I think I uh, messaged back and said not everybody appreciates my sense of humor, but I really appreciate that you do. Thank you for listening and thank you for taking those people. Thank you, thank you for taking the inmates uh, to treatment on a weekly basis. What a service that is. God bless you, Vicky. Andrea writes in and she says, I live sober. I, oh, I think she probably means I love sober speak, but who knows? Maybe she lives sober speak. You never can tell. Anyway, she says, I, we're just going to pretend that's love. I love sober speak. She says, thank you for your contribution. Contribution. She doesn't spell it that way, but I'm. I'm just kind of saying that way because I'm being kind of silly. Thank you for your contribution to my recovery and for providing me one of, uh, uh, for providing me one of my quote meetings between meetings. I think the stories of others trudging this road with us is so important. And I ask my sponsees to listen to 30 minutes a day of your podcast at a minimum. Oh my goodness. Well, that could be considered cruel and unusual punishment. Not listening to the guests, but 
because I'm involved in the mix, but wow, I've never heard that one before, Andrea, but thank you. She says, at first, it seems they do it grudgingly. <laughs> Why do I have to go listen to this guy? <laughs> And his shenanigans thirty minutes a day. This is this is really not right. I think I'm gonna go back out drinking. Just kidding. Anyway, um at first they do it grudgingly, but after a month after they start, I hear they are learning so much from the sober people, from the sober people from whom they would not normally encounter. Yes, our podcast is like a a fine scotch, if you will. It's an acquired taste. Anyway, she says, so that being said, how can I hear your story in big capital letters? Uh, have you ever been recorded or been interviewed on another podcast? Thanks for your service and recovery, uh, Andrea L. In Sebastian, Florida, sober since November 3rd of 2019. Well, as you know, I have been interviewed and I replied and gave you a couple links just because I have them ready because I've had people ask me before. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, I actually uh, uh, have been recorded and is on my my desktop, and I've thought about releasing it, but I, I have to edit it, and I always put everybody else before me to get them out on the uh, podcast, and uh, I don't know, I have been slow to the trigger, uh, or slow to respond when it comes to uh, publishing my story on the podcast. I don't know why. You know, it's interesting, because I always tell other people, hey, don't worry about it, just come on, you know, um, but... Uh, I've not done that yet. I should probably do that in the near future. And my friend Casey's always on me about it. He's like, dude, you got to get it out there. I'm like, all right, uh, who knows? I may. Uh, but nonetheless, let's go on to a little bit more listener feedback. Thank you for writing in, Andrea. Caitlin DMs on the IG. And Caitlin says, John, I'm excited. I found you on here. Uh, I still talking about. Uh, Instagram, that must have been where she ran across the pod. She says, my boyfriend and I are both about two and a half months alcohol-free, and I listen to your podcast on a regular basis, and it has helped and encouraged us both immensely. Well, Caitlin, God bless you. God bless your uh, boyfriend, and I'm glad that we have been able to help you on this journey. Michael DMs on the Instagram as well. He says, hi, John, I appreciate you reaching out. I had just messaged him, said thanks for the follow. He says, I love the podcast and I am so grateful for what you do. I love the speakers, the messages of sobriety, and the hope it provides. It has been a great as asset to my sober journey. Keep up the great work. I tell you what, you keep listening, Michael, and I'll try to keep up the great work. How's that sound? We'll both take it a day at a time, though. Thanks for writing in. Cameron writes in and he says, Hi, John. I live in Austin, Texas. Oh, I love Austin, Texas. I... Um, uh, how do I put this? I, 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 uh, 
added a lot to my uh, drunkalog while I was there in Austin. I, I mean, I've been back since, but uh, it is a great place. And as you probably know, if you listen to this podcast, Mr. Charlie P is also from Austin, Texas. But he says, anyway, I live in Austin, Texas, and I have been a chronic uh, relaxer. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I think he means relapser. My guess is it got uh, voice the text got kind of <laughs> mixed up there. <laughs> I was a chronic relaxer too. I just re- used to relax every single day of my life. I had to do a lot of relaxing just to kind of, you know, bring myself down. And uh, it didn't turn out too well. But I think he means chronic relapser. Anyways, for 20 years with small amounts of sobriety and then small amounts of drinking. I've recently had a significant experience where I'm ready to dive into this thing once more and for all. I listened to your speaker, Bill C. from Torrance, which resonated with me, learning more and how important the spiritual experience is essential to get this thing. Cameron. Well, good. I'm glad you're on the right path, and I'm glad uh, uh, Bill C. has helped you out. And uh, thank you for writing in, Cameron. Teresa writes in, and she says, Hey, John, thanks for adding me to the Facebook group. I, I appreciate it. Well, Teresa, the pleasure is all mine. By the way, for those of you listening in, who say, how do I get into that Facebook group, John M? Well, you go to the sober, you, excuse me, you go to the Facebook application, you type in sober speak secret group, and it should pop up. And all you got to do is ask to be added to the group. And the bar is very low. We will let you in there. Um, and anyway, she says, uh, thanks for adding me to the Facebook group. I've recently just started listening to sober speak and I loved joy H's share. Now, I don't think I've ever had a joy H on the pod, but whoever it is, I am glad that you listened in and you've liked their share. Also, thank you so much for your service, John M. It's so good to have a, quote, meeting between meetings. I am an American, but I live in a small town in New Zealand. Oh, you are a Kiwi. Well, not not a native Kiwi, but you're living there amongst the Kiwis. So please tell all the Kiwis I said hello. And then she says, where we only have one meeting a week. Uh, one meeting a week. Thank God for Zoom, big smiley face. She says, I'm coming up on my AA fourth birthday, and I'm extremely grateful for all those who have come before me to show me the way. Thanks again, Teresa. Well, Teresa over there in New Zealand, God bless you. I'm glad uh, you can keep busy with Sober Speak and Zoom and, and your one meeting a week over there. And, you know, so many of us take it for granted that live in these uh, major metropolitan areas that, uh, you know, we just have so many meetings. And uh, um, obviously, you can't take advantage of that. But I'm glad that uh, you have your resources over there in New Zealand. 
Kath writes in and she says, hello, John. Thank you as always for your fantastic service. Your podcast continue to be a joy in my recovery. I always look forward to the meeting between meetings. All the best, Kath. And Kath, you can't see it right now, but I'm doing little namaste hands and bowing to you. Thank you so much, Kath. I appreciate you. Adrian writes in, and this is last but not least, and Adrian writes in and he says, my dear friend, I'm Adrian, an alcoholic, and I'm writing you from the north of Germany. I guess that means uh, North Germany, not on the north side of Germany. But nonetheless, he says, I'm writing you from the north of Germany. He says, I've been listening to your podcast for the last six months, and one of the effects was to read again the big book because it's so clear without knowing the steps and implement them. I will only be dry, which is madness. I have a suggestion. Maybe your next speakers can talk about this. I've been married since 26 years, and I sobered up two and a half years ago. Since then, my wife is not in full control, and this bothers her. She doesn't want Al-Anon or therapy. She simply doesn't accept her new husband. From my AA guys, only me and someone else are still married, but both of us have the same issue about me. We're going to divorce because it's simply not working. I do not want to be the boy who walks the dog and doing the grocery, and she doesn't want to balance the situation by letting me have some responsibilities. So I told her that this is not going to work and we have to separate. The funny part is that 20 years ago while I was drinking, she didn't have any issues with this, but now when I'm sober, she's not comfortable at all. We both know, we both of us know why, smiley face. I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only special case, but maybe you can invite someone and share his experience and strength. You see that I didn't Uh, You see that I didn't say something about hope because, and I think in this case, hope is out of the discussion. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. It's really, really, really the best thing on this planet. Since I have issues at home every single night, I listen to two episodes of your podcast. Thank you so much for your service and God bless you, man, man. Well, Adrian, oh gosh, there's so much in there. Uh, you know, I, I try not to give advice, if you will. Uh, we just all try to share our experience, strength, and hope. But, uh, you know, I will tell you this, though. There is a, there's another podcast, uh, which uh, is called The Recovery Show with my friend Spencer. And, and he has a lot of good episodes on there. They're basically all Al-Anon episodes. And, you know, you may find that helpful. You may not. Anyway, thank you for writing in. All right, everybody. That concludes episode, what am I on? I think 237, if I'm not mistaken. Concludes episode number 237 of Sober Speak. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And I hope to be back next week. May God bless you and keep you until then. Be well.